0: Take your Bibles and turn to <clears throat> Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians. We'll be starting at verse 1. Um, I'm reading to verse 26, so the focus of this morning's sermon will be on verses 12 to 26, but it's been a while since we've been in Corinthians, so I'll read that whole chapter. Word from 1 Corinthians starting at chapter 12, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are various, uh, there are varieties of gifts to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. <clears throat> so for the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it now. <clears throat> well, given the extended time that we've been away from 1 Corinthians, let's take a moment... <clears throat> to remind ourselves of what's going on in the passage. We are re-entering this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 26. That's the passage that's before us. The Apostle Paul, uh, what's going on here, is answering a question that the Corinthians have asked him um, in a previous letter. The answer that Paul gives goes from chapter 12, verse 1, all the way to the end of chapter 14. And the question they asked had to do with, with the practice of speaking in tongues. And Paul specifically uh, speaks of this uh, uh, in speaking in tongues in chapter 14. But in chapter 12, he begins to lay the groundwork to answer this question by telling them uh, that the foundation of understanding the gifts of the spirit, more broadly speaking, right? They were the charismata. Uh, Paul says that we can't understand spiritual things unless we first confess that Jesus is Lord of all that he is the son of God come in the flesh, that he died for the sins of his people and was raised for their justification. Jesus is Lord, is the foundation for understanding. And of course, we know from the rest of uh, our Bibles that <clears throat> uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is Lord, Paul is saying, as he lays the groundwork, is the foundation for for understanding, And we see the in the first part of uh, this chapter that I read, verses 1 to 11, uh, that this is a fundamental truth of the Christian faith, that Jesus is Lord. The Lord Jesus humbled himself, and the Father exalted him, and, and installed him at his right hand as what? As Lord of all. <clears throat> Remember that rich and glorious declaration that we read uh, from Philippians chapter 2. We're speaking of Jesus, it says he humbled himself by becoming obedience to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this makes sense, right, uh, that because of the centrality to the Christian faith of the lordship of Jesus, it's no surprise that we read elsewhere that salvation comes when people confess Jesus as Lord. Right? We look in the past at Romans chapter 10, where it says this in verse 9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Pagans were driven and seduced by false gods, but Christians confess that Jesus is Lord. And we know as well about this confession that it is not derived from the self. Last week we talked about uh, salvation being extra nos, outside of ourselves. And indeed, this confession comes as well from outside of ourselves. The confession is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of an individual, All the gifts manifested by believers flow from Jesus, his lordship, and his sovereignty. Praise God that it does. And they had a problem, as Paul is addressing them, and unfolding, correcting them, and uh, instructing them. The Corinthians were thinking paganly, dividing the body, creating a pecking order, a hierarchy. And they were looking down on some in the body as inferior. Because of the gifting they had or did not have. And those with certain gifts, those were the top tier of the congregation. And the Corinthians needed to realize, just as we in our day, even we in this church need to understand, that Christ unites our differences, our diversity, in uniting us together in himself as one body. The world likes to pretend that it can achieve peace through fabricated, and forced Diversity. And it's apparent that this does not work, right? It isn't any more authentic or genuine or helpful. or any, it's, it's not those things uh, uh, more than any other times when societies who tried to have peace through forced unity. The world can't see beyond this world because according to its worldview, this world is all that they've got. And all along, it is only the Christian. It is only the worldview of Scripture that can make sense of unity in diversity, and diversity in unity. It's an ancient problem, really. If any of you have studied philosophy, it's an ancient problem. The quest to find the answer, the problem of the many and the one. We're not going to go any further uh, to heavy philosophy than that. Uh, It's enough to simply see what the Word says. We see in this passage that because we have true unity based on our common faith, in Christ Jesus, we can have peace and service to one another with our diverse gifts. Paul talks about these things. Uh, you'll, you'll recall uh, way back in October when we looked at the first point here, Paul talks about these things. He talks about the unity, right? The one body of Christ. There is one body. And secondly, he talks about the diversity of that one body within it. Many members in that one body. Many diverse, different members. We see that in verses 14 to 20. And then he also talks about the equality of the members of the body. They're they're not better than one, one, no one is better than the other. This was a problem, this hierarchy, this looking down and assessing and, 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 and describing value and status based on what your gift was. Paul says we are truly united in our common faith in Christ and united to Christ. And because of that, we can, with all of our differences and all of our diverse callings and giftings, we can live in peace, ever tasting right, that beginning of that here in this foreign land even now. And so let's look first briefly again to reorient ourselves at the unity that Paul talks about. There's one body of Christ. Verses 12 and 13. Uh, and again, just briefly to summarize what we saw last time when we were in 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 12, Paul starts discussing the church, Christ's spiritual body. And that one body is made up of many members. Right? Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ, he says. And it doesn't take long. When you have any kind of physical problems to realize and be amazed. Right? We talked about this last time. Be amazed at all the different parts. right? The members of, our, of the human body. And all the different things that they do. Right? We don't use the term uh, members uh, uh, so often. <clears throat> now it seems kind of strange to us um, to use members. We don't talk about that. But members simply means the parts of our body. And we still do have the vestiges of some of this when we hear the word uh, dismember. Right, right, To dismember someone. We know that that means to remove their limbs or the parts of their body uh, from the person or the animal. Right? Dismember. To remove the, the members or the parts. And I mentioned last time that we still don't know uh, what all of the parts of the body do, Right, their function. There's still a great deal of mystery uh, in medicine. And having recently gone through um, intimate contact with many, many doctors, uh, I'm convinced that some ta- sometimes doctors just make things up and hope that we're not listening and uh, the things that they do. They just throw things out there. Um, but I will confess my extreme gratitude to the Lord for allowing the advances that we have had in medicine and science. They've given us a great deal of comfort and relief for many things. And there's a vast multitude of functions of the parts that make up the body. But there is a basic unity that goes beyond all the differences. <clears throat> and Paul says, notice at the end of verse 12, and so it is with Christ. Right? We might expect verse 12 to end, and so it is with the church. He doesn't say that. He says, so it is with Christ. And that tells us that this body, that the body of Christ is no ordinary body. The members of this body belong to Jesus, and they manifest Christ to the world. And in this letter, Paul emphasizes, uh, his emphasis is in the union that the believer has with Christ, his Lord. Recall way back when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, speaks of this, right? And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Everyone who is a true believer is in Christ. He's united to Jesus, just as all believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so that's it, right? Many different, all kinds of people united into one body as God sees fit, the church of Jesus Christ. Unity in diversity. And then in verse 13, we read about about the way that we are incorporated into Christ's visible body, the visible expression of of that body in the local church. And that's done through baptism, right? The sign of the family of God. Notice in verse 13, it talks about baptism as it relates to the unity of the body of Christ and to the Holy Spirit's indwelling. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, remember baptism was one of the things causing great division in the Corinthian church Paul tells them that it's baptism that integrates that incorporates people into the visible body of Christ baptism you recall is the initiatory rite it is the sacrament of incorporation and of unity and what is the point of the unity and diversity well, it's another reason why the Corinthians were doing what they were doing didn't make sense. It was so wrong. Remember, they were using gifts, particularly the sign gifts that they highly esteemed as a way to exalt people who's, uh, with those particular gifts over those with seemingly lesser gifts. But the problem with that is that the gifts Paul is emphasizing were not for the individual. They were for the common good of the body and for the glory of Christ. <clears throat> So to see them as ways to divide the body, which is what they were doing, into factions was to miss the whole point of what it was. The gifts were for the common good and for the, uh, the glory of Christ. And if you are one that confesses Jesus to be your Lord, you are part of Christ's body. And that body of which you are a part is visibly made clear in the local church. In this body of diversely gifted people. Paul says, they all drink of one spirit. And this is the same spirit who builds the body of Christ the church, who creates faith in the hearts of individuals, and who unites us to Jesus. And it's a union, you'll see, it, see, as we look at all these things. It's a union that cannot be broken. Right? It's a union that cannot be broken. Isn't that an encouraging <clears throat> truth, brothers and sisters? Right? The union we have with Jesus is unbreakable. What a precious promise of God in times of desperation and depression and the sweeping struggle in all of our lives. The same Spirit who builds the church, creates faith in your heart, unites us to Jesus, will maintain that union. It will never be broken in all of the stuff of our lives. What comfort and joy to know that you belong to Jesus. And if you do so, he will never sever, he will never dismember you from him, ever. That is a glorious promise. For all of those united to him. And though this is the case, there can be damage to the union of the body by the misbehavior of its members. This is what Paul was dealing with in the problems with the divisions and the factions and the party loyalties that were going on. Right? Remember, it was a personality-driven church. And the cure for some of this wrong pagan thinking was a reminder of the purpose of the spirit-given gifts. And the unity they all share due to their union with Jesus and their common faith. These things are very important to God, brothers and sisters. Reconciliation is very important to God. The health of his church is very important to him. And it needs also to be for us, dear Christian. It needs to be for us as well. And so we see the union, the one body of Christ. The next we see Paul discussing the diversity. Right, the many members of that one body. In verses fourteen to twenty, Paul says in verse fourteen, "For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So there is one body that we enter, but that one body is made up of many different, diverse members. Every member of Christ's body is needed." It is, need, it is in need of, needed, and is in need, need of the other members of that body. And Paul is making the point that individual members cannot exist by themselves. That is an oddity in scriptural thinking. right? In the same way that no single individual Christian is the church, no individual member of the body constitutes all that the body is. Paul goes on discussing the body of Christ in terms of the human body by way of analogy, and he uses this analogy to talk about the relationship of the unity and diversity in the church. Every single member of the body of Christ is equally important and essential to the health of the the whole. Members of the body can't just declare themselves independent from all others. They can't exist on their own in health apart from the body. The parts of the body that have been dismembered, what happens to those parts? They're dead. Right? Think of the human body. If a leg is removed from the body, what happens to that leg? It doesn't go on living all on its own. It dies. And what about the body? Is it affected at the loss of a limb? You better believe it is. It's no longer whole. It's limited. It's incomplete. It suffers. And the passage continues in verse 15 and 16. He says, The foot should say, Because I am not a hand... I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The issue is that the Corinthians there uh, at that church clearly left some people uh, who had what were being considered lesser gifts, right? They considered them lesser, inferior, unimportant, And that was the result of seeing the spiritual gifts through the lenses of paganism, right? They still had the lenses, the vestiges of what they were called out from and the culture that they were uh, indeed living in. And Paul is trying to show them something. He's trying to show them that the gifts weren't badges of honor or esteem to pump up the individual. The gifts were given for service and for, for Christ's glory. And so Paul is chastising them. These individuals who saw the gifts from a pagan perspective... And he is encouraging those who had a uh, a foot-like gift, right, or gifts that were seemingly uh, uh, unimportant or lesser, of lesser esteem and significance. And every church knows this to be true. Some gifts go under-noticed, but they are not unimportant, right? They're not less important. I think of just by way of analogy, our church, right, there is the sign-up sheet for cleaning the church and for mowing the lawn, Right, right. When that doesn't happen, um, the, the long gets pretty, pretty gnarly. You could have a you know, corn maze type thing in there. It gets so long and grows so fast. But those are great acts of service. They're great acts of service, by the way, uh, for young people and for children to contribute, to test their gifts, and for children to have a sense of contribution to their church and a sense of service to the body of Christ, even, he, even here. And they are noble ways to serve. We have to be careful to maintain right attitudes about all of these things. And Paul is warning us, he's showing us, he's trying, trying to correct something that is going on there, that they didn't remain, uh, maintain right attitudes, but they were thinking like pagans. If someone isn't content in serving unless he is lauded or praised, he or she is praised or given a title, that's a sign of a heart problem. They're discontented until they're acknowledged. Right? And you understand this scenario, one man agrees to do whatever he can and remain invisible, content that the body profited or served, is served by his help. Another man looks for ways to be given a title or public credit for his helping out. He's discontented until he's recognized. Well, the first man gets it. Right? He sees that it's not all about him, but about Jesus and serving the body of Christ. The second man needs help with his heart. It's a heart problem. His focus is wrong. His motivation is wrong. His goal is wrong. And our place in the body of Christ is not a matter of personal pride or status. Rather, it's a matter of God's design and His sovereignty. Listen to what He says in verse 17 and 18. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose do you trust God, dear people, with his gifting according to his design and his desire? He gives gifts and he calls as he sees fit. It is for us to trust him in that, to trust our Lord, to give gifts for the health of the whole body, whom he lo- loves as he chooses. Then he goes on in verse 19. <clears throat> And he kind of closes the bookends or the chiasm that he began in verse 12. He raises the same themes. He says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? <clears throat> As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. right?" And so you hear again the themes of unity and diversity of the body. In verse 21, Paul shifts from the under-spectacular uh, under gifts to those who were more public and openly uh, seen gifts. Right? And he makes this important thing as he transitions in verses 21 to 26 and he speaks of the equality of the members. They're not different tiers or hierarchies in the body, in the gifting. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you, feet. God is the sovereign gift giver. We must always remember that. The gifts are not for the purpose of status. but for the purpose of service. We can never look down on those with seemingly lesser gifts. Seemingly lesser gifts. We all need each other. We all need one another. There is a unity in diversity. And they are all equal. They are all needed. They are all significant. Verse 22, he says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Paul says that the weaker members, like feet and ears, are equally important to the body as the head and the eyes. <clears throat> and it's interesting there that the word for weak, right, the weaker uh, uh, are indispensable. Weaker is the word that means sick. I, it's, it's more, uh, um, there's a different focus or emphasis. Uh, when you read in the Greek, it means sick. The sick are indispensable to the body, right? They are indispensable. And then in verses 23 and 24, Paul points uh, us to see how we consider our own bodies. Many people give lots of attention, lots of attention to how they clothe their feet, right? They're impressive uh, shoes. I remember as a young boy hearing of Amelda Marcos, right? right was, was well known for having hundreds of shoes um, in the Philippines. This is what she was known for, kind of strange. Um, <clears throat> and we stress the importance of being modest or covering up ourselves but the presentable parts of our bodies aren't treated special if at all. The Lord has taken all of these parts and brought them together into one body. And they work together in a way that all are to be honored as they glorify Christ and serve one another for their health and their stability. And we read why this is the case in the next verses, the last two verses, 25 and 26. Where it says that there are many, uh, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. <clears throat> Part of the point of what Paul is saying, and he's emphasizing, is to draw attention to how serious division in the body is. Right? And to take the analogy of the human body even further, we've all seen probably. Um Those who have been obsessed and neurotic about their own bodies uh, and, and, and that uh, slippery slope of uh, plastic surgery, right, It wreaks havoc on the body, It destroys the body. All the various and diverse parts are equal uh, or, or to equally care for one another. If one suffers, it says all suffer. If one part is honored, all rejoice together. What a glorious thing that we don't suffer alone and that we don't rejoice alone. We've all experienced this very thing, right? In this church, in the last couple of years, we have had uh, many, many children be born and we rejoice together uh, with the, those families that are blessed with a new covenant child. When one falls ill, we are all impacted. We're all impacted as the body of Christ. And when one is honored, we rejoice together. We rejoice with them. And in all this, these considerations, we can see that it is never appropriate for the members of the body to cause divisions or factions, pitting one against the other. It is never appropriate. It is simply this, the gifts of the Spirit for the building up of the body, for the common good of the body of Christ and for the glory of God. If we keep that in mind, Paul is telling us here, that will do a lot uh, by way of correcting some of the bad behavior, particularly that he saw in this church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, we in the body of Christ are different in many ways from one another. We are very different. But the faith that we confess is in the same Jesus Christ. Many different people confessing the same thing. Jesus is Lord. And united together, we are members of his body, the body of Christ. And so we're not identified, as is so much the case in today's politics, right? Identity politics. By the way we look, we're not identified by the way we dress, or by economics, or our ethnic backgrounds, or our standing in society, our social status. None of of this is what we're identified by. What identifies us is what? In the body of Christ, it is our common confession that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And we become one body when we are baptized into our Lord's death and resurrection. It is only in Christ that there is true unity. And praise God that that unity we have anticipates. And it reflects that glorious day after our Lord returns when all sin is eradicated. And we become the spotless bride of Christ. What a glorious thing to meditate upon this Lord's day. And it is then that we will have not a false or forced or fabricated unity that indeed is just temporary, but true unity born by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we experience that. We begin to do that even here now in the church of Christ. Is that true of you, dear people, that you have been purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Is that true of you? Make that confession. Bend your knee. Jesus is Lord. And if you have been bought by that which is not perishable like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of our great God and Savior, our Redeemer Jesus, if that is you, may you delight and rejoice in your prophet, priest, and king. Delight and rejoice and give praise. May you render him all praise and honor. May we newly be overwhelmed by these truths, with the love that was shown to you by plucking you out of the fire, saving you from the punishment of your sins, by being punished for you in your place. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we have. What a blessing to be servants of the King, indeed to be children of our Heavenly Father. Glorious indeed. Let us give praise, brothers and sisters, and thanks that we are members of the body of Christ, chosen, gifted, gifted, by God, and commissioned to serve the body and bring him glory that is due his name. Amen. Let's pray together. Our merciful God, we come again before you, acknowledging you are the one who is pleased to condescend to speak to us through this your word, and to grant us all grace that we may not not be mere hearers of your word, but doers also we pray dear father that you would give us your holy spirit that we may believe what has been promised to us in this word may we bring glory and honor to your name and all that we do as you conform us to the image of your son jesus christ our lord all of this gracious father we ask in his name the name of jesus christ our redeemer and king amen